You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! And welcome to episode 105 of Ace Comicals. And today I am joined by the usual co-hosts, that's Rahul and Leon. Hey everyone. Hey guys. And uh, we have a special guest, Dr. Vicky Madden. Hello, <laughs> thanks for the introduction. <laughs> yes, so um, this is um, basically last year, which feels like 10 years ago. We covered uh, the collected works of Junji Ito. So we kind of did like a a brief overview discussion of kind of all of his horror comics and and how important they are and how cool they are and everything else. And today we have, we're we're, we're bringing back the Junji Ito because today we are choosing to focus in specifically on the story Tomie, which we sort of overlooked last time. We didn't talk about that one as much. I mean, last time the focus was mainly on Uzumaki and Gyo, wasn't it? Yeah. So today we are focusing mainly on Tomie. So this is the Junji Ito Tomie episode. So Tomie is a horror manga series written and illustrated by Junji Ito. Um, it was his first published work, originally published in a shoujo magazine, which are magazines aimed at young teenage girls in Japan. Uh, it was a monthly, it was a, a magazine called Monthly Halloween. And um, this was published in 1987 and he won a uh, an award for this actually he won a a Japanese uh, manga awards comics award so similar i guess to what the eisners are and things like that um in 1989 he won the Kazuo Umezo award for this story so um this story has uh since gone on to span 20 chapters and ran from 1987 right up to the year 2000. Uh, There have been eight films and, uh, well, eight films, nine films, depending on how you count it, because there was a TV series that was three episodes that later got edited together as a movie. Um, But yeah, it was, it's wildly popular and it's one of the books that still, kind of like i mean today people still kind of like hold it in high regard as a a a really good horror comic and a really kind of like stellar example of junji ito's work so um that's what we're here to discuss today now um what i will kick off with is the fact that most junji ito stories are either anthologies or long-running narratives now this kind of sits somewhere in between the two. So it's not a collection of individual stories. It's not a single narrative that spans all 20 chapters, but there is like a thread running through them all. And that thread is Tomie, who is, uh, well, we're not quite decided who she is really. She's either, a I, well, I can't, I can't put my finger on whether the fact that whether she's a malevolent spirit whether she is uh, some kind of demon, some sort of science experiment. There's a, it, it gets throughout the book, throughout the, the, um, the, the collection of stories, um, 
all of these things are hinted at, she could be any one of them. And I think that's the beauty of it in some places. So, I mean, what's, what's uh, your guys' take on that? We'll start with the guest. We'll start with Vicky. So what's, what's your take on this versus other Junji Ito works with it being, rather than it being like a collection of separate stories, it's it or, or, or one whole narrative, it kind of sits somewhere in between that, doesn't it? It does. And I, I think it's, it's a really interesting, I guess, change from, from all the little story collections that I have by Junji Ito, because I was kind of looking at my collection and this one stands out as really, I think, being my favorite, just because there's there's kind of a long-running narrative, but there's kind of not either. And and I don't know, I, there's, there's just a... I'm not articulating this very well. Uh, there's something about Tomie that I can't shake, I think, is, is, the, is the thing about it. Like, she, of all the characters, I think, is the one that stands out as being the one that gets under my skin. Yeah, she's... Um... She's different to the other things that Junji Ito writes about because he, um, if we take examples like uh, Gyo and uh, Uzumaki, he sort of plays with a concept. So with Uzumaki, it's kind of like finding horror in something as simple as a geometrical expression or shape or whatever, like a spiral. And and turning that into something truly weird and horrifying. And then with uh, Gyo, it's like the idea of what if fish could walk on land kind of thing. Um, and then sort of like blowing that way out and turning it into something, you know, truly horrible. But with with this, it's like he's, he's almost created his own... Um, Almost like you know, like when you get these like long running film series, like um, like the, the Freddy films or uh, Jason Voorhees and things like that. Like yeah, these, these classic horror characters. That that's that's what Tomie is, isn't it? She's like this. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good way to put it. Actually, yeah, yeah, um, I I like that. She's she's this complete. I see her as like I don't know. Is she is she overtly malevolent? Is she is she there? I feel like she's a punishing agent more than more than anything. Like she to me is like a, a punisher. Um, and I don't know, I, like there's, there's loads of stuff that I want to talk about, um, during the podcast, but, um, I don't know, she's, she's just, she, what, what to say about Tomie? She's just, she's so weird. Like, I feel like with his other stories, like, you know, it's like a weirdness that kind of stems from like things that I wouldn't necessarily expect, but like, she's just like a, she's a girl, you know, she's, she's a girl who's like repeatedly murdered <laughs> and repeatedly like cut up and she always comes back and it's just, but she doesn't it's just kind come, of, she doesn't just come yeah. back. She, she multiplies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know. She, she, she becomes more <laughs> exactly. and yeah. And I, I love, I love that about her. Like I just find her absolutely fascinating and I just, you know, like, and I, I don't know. Um, the, the thing that always strikes me, like going through the whole kind of, um, cause I think we read the same, version of the story didn't we we read like the special edition um where like all the stories are together yeah the big collected viz one because there's like yes yeah yeah so um yeah there's like several different versions of this knocking about you can get it in uh, i think dark horse published it um and they published it in two separate volumes um but you can get it like completely collected um the, the most recent volume is like really comprehensive it's the viz um hardback 
Junji Ito Tomie um, collection, which like Viz have done this whole series of Junji Ito books where um, mm. they're releasing like the whole thing pretty comprehensive as a hardback. So you can get Viz, Gyo, uh, Viz. you can get Tomie Gyo and um, you can also get um, Uzumaki like that. And um, they're really nice books, actually. But yeah, this is this is the version that, that we've got, which contains all 20 of the main chapters of the main Tomie story, if you like. Um, Ray, where do you sit on this whole thing with it being like not an anthology, not a... Man, you guys have already made like 20 different books that I <laughs> want to react to, but uh, I need to like pick. So, okay. So you mentioned Freddy and Jason, and I hadn't thought of that before, but like it's a really apt comparison because like, I guess with Freddie or Jason, like you have different creators get to take their spin on those characters. Whereas with Tomie, it's all Junji Ito and he gets to, uh, you know, reshape her depending on the story. And that's one of the things that I really liked about this book compared to say it was a Maki or Gyo where, because yeah. I think um, Junji Ito is at his best when he's working with like bite-sized chunks in concept. Cause he does that thing where he like, uh, it slowly, it slowly builds to a crescendo at the very end. And like, at the end of some of his stories, he quite he doesn't always quite know where to go with it. And like after the reveal has been made or after the big shock page turn has happened, it's sort of the, the further you go on, the flatter it feels. And I think I had that feeling occasionally with Uzumaki. Um, but with this one, he gets to like have this long uh, running narrative with this one character and she gets to have an arc and you get to learn new things about her, um, you know, as a consistent character. And we slowly drip fed her rule set and her desires but then each new chapter he allows himself to like have a new core concept or a new core idea placed into a different scenario and then given a you know like a whole different new fascinating thing that you get to see enacted on the page and then he can end it with that crescendo and move on to the next one and it's it's that over and over and over but with the added benefit of like these interwoven characters and like you learning more about her so yeah I, i this i think this plays to his strengths in a lot of ways that in that structural sense. And I mean, every single chapter as well. Like it's all, it's all really good. There's something to love about all of it. There's no going back to the Jason and, and Freddie comparison. There's no Tommy AX or Tommy H2O. It's all, <laughs> it's all really good. Not yet. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, get to evolve slightly over the course of the book. And yeah. I, I think that's really interesting how there's like a drip feed of, like I said, the rule set or like the me- quote unquote mechanics of Tomie, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I like that it's uh, you, it gets to be developed over the course of what seven hundred pages or whatever. Yeah, um, Leon, anything to add? Yeah, to that? Um, not too much because you guys have hit a lot of points that have been percolating in my mind. But for real, um, there is a lot where. And this is similar to what Rahul said, um, where, yeah, the, um, Ito seems like heavy on like cool concepts and cool striking visuals and sort of pulling you for a story. But at times the, I know, the, the energy from the core concept sometimes does run out before the story ends. And it does feel like he is best suited in like uh short as you say like bite-sized chunks and what i think makes an anthology type series work so well is that you can use this central character termier as a sort of 
in some ways a catalyst because oftentimes she's the only recurring um, element of the story, uh, usually um, like popped into the lives of um, a bunch of like new new type of characters, but also because, like you guys have said, um, Tomie herself as an entity is is evolving and isn't just a static person behind a mask stabbing people every couple of movies instead because like the core concept of what she is is evolving chapter by chapter or story by story i do think that this does bubble this story up towards some of my like more preferred of uh, junti itos i think that by focusing on the various different aspects of people's lives and the various different like elements to um, to do with like beauty and say um i guess like to a degree like femininity but also like high school and like people's interactions with each other and how how certain people view certain people and what's expected of them and um what changes when those expectations um are not not what was expected to put that poorly um i think that a lot a lot of this is covered really well within these books and especially as you get into the the later stories the later chapters i think that we get to see a lot more not really intention but we get to see a lot more of um like that we get to see the next stage of what this idea could be rather it be like scary girl just won't die uh, hmm. and she's here to enact vengeance i think that it, it it the 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 concept of her and what she can do it's taken to like every degree and escalating degree to quite a satisfying way yeah indeed um the most interesting thing i think about this book for me is the fact that it was originally aimed at young teenagers. Um, and when I I first read that, when I was looking this stuff up and I first read that and I thought that kind of like feels like off the mark for me because I know that at least in the West, you would never get anything like this intentionally aimed at 13, 14 year olds. It wouldn't be this visceral, this... Um, this violent maybe and things like that. And I feel that it just, I don't, I don't know. It's just, there's something about it though, where he takes that and he adds this layer of like, um, how do I put this? So it, it has this, this kind of like vibe um, I mean, I, I know that it wouldn't have like in the West, I wouldn't have been able to get this, but had I been 13 or 14 years old in Japan, I probably would have been all over a story like this. I'd have been hooked if I'd have been offered like a look at anything like this. So it has this kind of like urban legend vibe, like told by your best friend vibe, word of mouth, school rumor sparkle about it. Um, which I think kind of like, although it's like horrific, like super horrifically violent and things like that. And there's all this like, um, like really graphic depictions of, of violence and things in there. It's, it's also 
so written with that age group in mind, if you understand where I'm coming from. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the, the kind of urban legend nature of, of this anthology, because I, I remember distinctly, like, when I first found the story, like, I first, first realized that Junji Ito had written a series of stories about this creature, Tomie, I, I was like, I need to get my hands on this. Like, this is this is something that I need to find. And it took me ages to find a copy. Like, it it was something that like I was searching on eBay, and I think this was probably before the Viz um, copy of it because that was the first time where I was like, oh, I'm seeing this in print and it's available on Amazon. Because beforehand, it was just like, where do I even get this? Where do I where do I find these stories? How do I how do I like kind of read these in order? And I do think that there's merit in reading them kind of in the order that they were probably written. Um, Cause one thing that really strikes me about this, about this entire anthology is like how much better the artwork gets. Like mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's just like noticeably, I don't want to say lacking, but like, it's, it's just not as detailed. And I find that like that really kind of lends itself to the story in, in that Tomia becomes more detailed and she becomes more beautiful as the series progresses. And that to me, like, really kind of adds to like this this whole mythos of Tomie. Yeah. So I mean, this 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 whole work goes from right at the beginning of Junji's career, like right like up to the year two thousand. I think is is where we like. So it's like thirteen years of work, um, and things do get more detailed and more alive. His style evolves, and he grows into his horror. Like there's more lines and there's more ethereal work and you can see things get more detailed and more chiseled and a little bit more gothic in spirit as well. Like it's still very Japanese in style, but like he does things like um, using a lot of lines in places to enhance the graphic nature of a scene or to like really draw attention to something super grotesque, like with a lot of his body horror stuff. Um, he uses a lot of lines and a lot of shading and it's not shade. It's shading through lines. There's no soft shading. It's all kind of like etching style. And it really does bring some of his most wretched image images and examples of body horror to life. And like using lines under the eyes to create a coldness and things like that. Like he does these like downward lines with his, the nib of his ink pen or whatever. And like vertical lines under the eyes. And he, he, just really animates the horror and allows us to actually stare into it and stare into the eyes of the subject. And it brings to mind, to my mind, works of artists in um, Western horror comics, like Bernie Wrightson. Um, It's just something universal about horror comics, like Japanese and Western, that just, it's about the increasing the amounts of fine lines to represent shading and to create these beautiful Gothic etching-like illustrations that just ooze with darkness and atmosphere. And I think as we go through the Tomie chapters like one by one it increases in like you get more and more of that towards the end and like there's some really beautiful examples towards the back end of the book where he's just gone absolutely wild with this especially in the final chapter um and you can just really play with light and shadow with this, that style. And, and like it's, it's left when it's left in beautiful black and white, it, it really, really works. So, I mean, I'm thinking of like, um, when I look at stuff like this, when I look at some of the stuff in the later chapters of Tomie, and when I look at work by, um, we talk about like Bernie Wrightson or, um, Esteban Morotto. I've got a book here 
by Esteban Moroto, which is the um, a, Cthul- a, a book of like adapted Cthulhu stories, Cthulhu mythos stories, but he's like adapted them into sort of like um, comic form, uh, sequential art, and it's all black and white ink, ink pen. Um, but I mean, it, it's kind of has this like uh, you ever seen a, like eighteenth century um gothic etchings of like um scenes of damnation and things like that like drawings of demons from the 18th century like that kind of stuff and it kind of has that quality and there's something universal about all like all the best horror comics um that kind of like embody that quality and kind of keep that with the way that they do the art with the, the the lines they use and the way they the way they like, you know, f- increase the frequency of all these tiny, delicate little lines to create something like that is altogether like more horrifying. I don't know what it is about that style or what it is about the lines that does that, but there's just something in it. I mean, um, Leon, what are you, what are you got on that? Have you got anything to say about that? Um, can you like reframe the question slightly? So yeah, so I'm, I'm talking about the um, the way that like artists will use black and white and use uh lots and lots and lots of fine lines to create horror and it kind of evokes a feeling of you know like when you're looking at 18th century gothic etching yeah, of like yeah. damnation and, and hell and whatever else like illustrations of dante's inferno that kind of thing do you think part of it comes to like lots of lines especially in like a sketchy way can can sort of evoke a feeling of like um like a blur or fuzz or like a not altogether. And also you I find with like art, especially like comics that have that usually there's like an uh, a hyper focus on detail. And in in a lot of Junjito books, one of my favorite things is like face expressions. And I think in this book um, it has some choice ones, <laughs> but also there's a lot of use of, so it's not really negative space, but there's a lot, a lot of use of like black blocked out parts of the panel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like part of, part of me thinks like, is that a thing to do with say, uh, like lack of information, darkness slash mystery type thing, because often it, it, it follows in a bit where, either like there's a character like literally in the dark or it's a thing where someone is falling off an edge or something like that and they're they're the focused but they're falling into a void as it as it looks on the page and i and i wonder if like if it relates to what you're uh, what you're saying but also if there's a thing to do with it of like perhaps even like a focus on how people within are reacting and also like the uh, there's like a tactile sense like usually like when i see like lots of sketchy lines i think of like the thing and then if it's not the thing but like i think of like as like a monster of some of some type something like alien because a lot of times characters are quite block based and like kind of like simple and with expressions so when 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 I see that, it gives me almost like, a, especially in black and white, almost like um, a used and like real world sort of like feeling. Like a lot of the locales in this, whether it be schools or people's apartments, 
they all uh, there's a texture to all of them. You can see the rust from like pipes, and part of me feels like I don't know if it if it's all working in concert to sort of push you off kilter, or yeah. if there's like a, a focus on a particular detail. I'm not I mean, sure. Would that not be the whole thing with horror showing it at like it is? Like, if you think of a horror story, but like, um, let's go with, with like, in the context of comics and manga, because that's what we do. But like, if you think of a horror story versus a different type of comic book story, like a superhero story or something like that, it's not polished. It's not, um, it's almost like when you're reading any other comic, you are forced to wear rose tinted glasses. And then the whole thing with horror, like this is in any, I think this is horror in any, any context, but in the context of like the whole thing with horror is they strip that back on purpose and they will do things like accentuate detail of rust and stuff like that, just to make you feel like, you know, uneasy because the world around the character is decaying and the world in the book is decaying and the world that you're entering into is decaying and horrible and twisted and it already kind of puts you on the back foot. And I think that's yeah. the power of that. Yeah. It like sets and maintains a tone. Yeah. Um, Vicky, <clears throat> you got anything to add to that? I always think of like um, most effective horror that I, that I've seen in my kind of limited experience with um, horror manga is it's always most effective when it kind of takes the commonplace and turns it just like slightly out of alignment. So it's always like things like, you know, taking, taking like a school or something like that. And then just like a couple of details are just a little bit off. And I, I feel mm. like Jinji Ito has a way of doing that really, really well. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like what you guys have been talking about already. And like in his, in his line work, I think there's, there's kind of just like little hints of, of something that's like not quite right. And like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> expressing this very well, but that to me is like where the horror kind of comes from is like, you know, everything is so commonplace. Like, you know, there's, there's nothing in Tomie um, in contrast to his other works that is really kind of like supernatural other than Tomie. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And that I think is why this collection to me works so well. Mm. And like um just going back again to the previous point about how it all starts so um it begins like very much like any other manga you've read in the way it looks but then like it evolves to take on more of a horror style like he grows into the horror kind of thing as he moves on through each chapter um ray have you got anything to add to this at all yeah so like to that point of how his his uh, style sort of matures over time. Like um, immediately the thing that struck me was how much more intentional, like the framing and the staging and like his, uh, for want of a better term, like shot composition is um, as, as he goes on. Cause like he, he doesn't have a very consistent visual style at the beginning. Cause like he, uh, there's certain things where like um, a character will kind of corrupt their own, uh, visual standard that he'd established earlier in the story. Uh, and like, that's uncanny in its own way, but like, as he gets, uh, he matures in his style, like he, I feel like he makes um, more intentional choices about what he abstracts and like how that is unsettling. So for example, like uh, in the first issue, there's a guy who, when he's, um, he's making this choice to suddenly become 
um, you know, more than human or more violent than he was before. And it like, uh, not only is his shading or like the, uh, the structure of his body becoming corrupted, um, like his facial expression and everything is as well. Whereas later on, the, a similar sort of moment in one of the later chapters sort of follows the same consistent visual style, but there's like a, more of a, a subtle change in uh, what becomes uncanny. And I think that that maturity really pays off, uh, you know, the, the later his work gets. I don't know if I explained that very well, but like, I think that's, that's where you see the, um, like the change in his craft. And yeah, I think to the point of um, like the line work and everything, I think, yeah, to, to everything you guys have already said, basically, like um, making those choices of what becomes, uh, what becomes uncanny uh, is, becomes really clear. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, I mean, we've talked a lot about, what makes this book so effective, but what we haven't really touched on very much yet is what actually is Tomie. So, I mean, I have a few theories about what Tomie is. Through. So, so what you need to know, first of all, is the through line to this story is there is this, uh, this girl called Tomie who, um, she's, she's a teenage girl and she kind of has this uncanny ability to put people under her spell um, people become, um, like entranced. En- enchanted, entranced, yeah, uh, by her beauty and they will do anything to, anything for her, anything to, to like have her to be her boyfriend or her significant other or whatever. And, um, there's also like another side to it where, where people will do anything to kind of like celebrate her beauty as well, because it's not just men that are kind of in the grip of this. There's, there's like people that, that um, later on in the story, later on throughout the book, we get, we get stories of old ladies that, that want to be her mother because they want to dress her up in pretty dresses and, and know what it's like to have a daughter that beautiful to try and capture some of their own, recapture some of their own youth and things like that. So it kind of, it becomes about people coveting her beauty because she's this impossibly beautiful young girl. And she has this, like when, when she gets people under her spell, she kind of uses that against them in a way almost to punish them, which is something you touched on earlier, Vicky there. Um, because I, I'm actually in of the same mind as you, that she's more of a, um, more of the protagonist of these than the antagonist. Mm, I think. Yeah. In these stories. Yeah. <laughs> I would like, agree. Yeah. I'm, I, I was on that side of things when I was reading it, but what, what the whole thing with Tomia is, is other than this like supernatural ability to control or take over people, the fact that she doesn't age and the fact that if you kill her, she will come back to life. But not only will she come back to life, if you, if you were to cut off her arm, for example, that arm would grow into another Tomie. So she has this like ability to replicate. And, um, it, what happens is the, the kind of like the, the kind the, the spell that she puts you under, like the, the, this, this kind of power that she has over you, like this obsession that you, you kind of like get with Tomie will eventually drive you to murder her gruesomely. Um, so in the book, we get examples where people are driven to cut her up, stab her to death, things like that. So I guess this book does come with a little bit of a content warning, um, with the fact that it contains, uh, 
lots of strong graphic violence against women and there's also depictions of suicide but like the the, the whole point is like it's a, it's it's a horror book so i mean that kind of stuff comes with the territory i guess but at the same time it is a little bit so if if that's if if that's not going to be your thing then i wouldn't recommend it but she um she does drive people like people become obsessed with her and then she drives people to to the point where they they kill her like they become obsessed with her and then they have to kill her or if and and the other point of that is as well like if you get her to a point of mental stress you don't necessarily have to cut her up to get her to replicate because if she's at a point of mental stress, another Tomie will grow out of her head, which is one of the weirder things I found about this book. Um, and throughout the book, there's a lot of different avenues explored of what she could be. We get a kind of a, um, we kind of get to get a look at Tomie as if she may be a malevolent spirit, a vengeful spirit. Tomie as if she is a demon or uh as as it's put on the the blurb for the book of succubus um we get tomie as a science experiment maybe in some kind of like frankenstein style um thing where she's been made in a lab and then she's just like roaming free which i think about three or four chapters in i was beginning to think that was the case um and then there's also the through line that maybe she's just a mutant maybe she was just born that way um, which is kind of like taking it to the comic book purest route of like superheroes and, and superpowers. But like, I don't know guys, like where do we, where do we sit on that? So Vicky, what's, what's your takeaway for all of that stuff? Like where, where would you put her on that spectrum? Like what? Like what is, what is Tomie at her, yeah, at her very yeah. core? <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking about that as you were speaking, because all of these points, they're, they're so good. Like, she's so many different things, or she has the possibility of becoming so many different things. And I think that, to me, is, is in her essence, she's like, she's not only kind of abhuman, but she's also just like a liminal entity. And I think, like, it's no coincidence that she is a teenage girl first and foremost because teenage girls you know they're on the cusp of womanhood they're kind of like not children they're not adults like they're liminal they're they're in between two stages and i feel like that's what tomi is like tomi is she's like she's she's always in the middle she always kind of i don't know like she she leaks this possibility of becoming something else and so like to me she's she's everything she's you know she's a mutant she's she's a succubus she's all of these things because she can be and it's and and it that to me i think points to the fact that like female subjectivity is often so fractured or or it's depicted as so fragmented as well that like she has the ability to become all of these things she's like in a in a constant stage of of like becoming something that is other and that to me is like why she's she's so fascinating is like she's she's a teenage girl yeah, like because i mean her <laughs> behavior in the stories it starts off relatively ordinary like yeah it, it like these books often start off rather than being these stories often rather than starting them off as um they start off quite slice of life don't they sometimes mm. and she's mm-hmm. a, a, especially the photograph one yes which yeah it, it's just like this is this is a, a japanese school and this is just you know things that happen like we've got somebody taking photographs of um of of people and selling them to you know, she's taking taking photographs of boys that other girls like and then selling them to these girls that are like hopelessly in love with these boys um for like extortionate amounts of money <laughs> 
I love I love the photograph yeah. one. And I love that you brought yeah. that up because to me, like there are three stories that particularly stand out to me. And for some reason, photograph is one of them. And and it's funny because it's one of the earlier ones and it is so commonplace. But like how many horror films have a scene like that involves like an uncanny picture and an uncanny picture that involves like a female who is somehow multiple, like there's another kind of entity in there with her. Yeah. And that to me is, it's such a strong trope, especially like in Western horror that, that, that image of her, like with the other head behind her, that one to me, I'm like, that's the one that I remember always. Like ghost, ghost photography in films. Like, you yeah, know, you, get, you get that scene, like you're saying where it will be like a, 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 a bunch of a couple posing for a photo and Mm -hmm. then like when the photo develops there's like the the cameraman will dismiss it as a double exposure or something but there's like an extra exactly extra entity in the background just kind of like hovering over yeah i understand exactly i love how ito sort of plants that seed quite early but then doesn't pay it off very often like Mm. but he alludes to it in multiple stories like down the down the line like why she hates having her photograph taken Um, i love that we don't get to see it that often yeah but it's it's like the way what I was getting to is the fact that it begins so slice of lifey, and Tomie is like she's just she you know she's just an ordinary teenage girl. She's the queen bee of the ethics committee or whatever, and you know everyone on the ethics committee kind of does what she says because she's the the top dog of the ethics committee kind of thing. And it's like, it's not really evident that she's some kind of like supernatural force. It's just, Oh, you know, she's the prettiest girl at school. And she's also like, you know, top of the ethics committee and she will ruin your life because she can, because she has that kind of pull with the teachers or whatever. It's, it's like, it's just so ordinary. And then it just slowly escalates and evolves into something just really, really crazy, like with the photograph thing. And that's, that's also like the urban legend thing as well. Like this kind of, this story kind of has like that kind of urban legend quality with the whole photograph thing. Like it, there's something very kind of like urban legendy or very like, you know, you can imagine it like whispered around schools, like, oh, you know, there was a girl who went to the school and she, you know, if you took photos of her, they always came out wrong and things like that. It was like the kind of thing where you would like, it gets built up as like a rumor or an urban legend. It does. It like takes yeah. on a life of its own, which is kind of what Tomia does as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. she takes on multiple lives of her own. I think that's such a strong point. And I think, you know, there there is a point to be made about teenage girls being kind of like, in terms of like how they're viewed by society, there's something like very kind of monstrous about the quality of like beautiful teenage girls because they hold so much power and yet they don't have any power at all. And I think like we would be kind of remiss not to discuss like the, the power dynamics of, of the entire anthology being how violent it is and how much violence is directed towards this one girl, this one like teenage girl who has like no power at all and yet holds kind of all the cards. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Um, so, I mean, like Leon, you got anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, well, so following on from the, um, that point, um, it it is interesting how, as you say, Vicky, um, she inhabits that that sort of um, contradicting identity of being, um, like, in terms of like I guess culture or whatever, like a prized possession, but then like is the subject of like so much pain and horror and I, and you know, it's no accident how in some ways the tone matches that 
in the mm. way that people generally I mean it's a, it's a it's a horror trope anyway that people's people don't just like roll into a ball into fetal position whenever something like wild happens which people would do in real life if we saw like aliens or people rose from the dead but there's an extra element on here where there's almost a going with the flow with the supernatural stuff so like when the teacher is able to get the whole class to slice up the body that feels like metaphor right there. That feels like walking, talking metaphor, where it's like, um, where everybody's like, but it's done so matter of factly. It was like, oh, you guys had a shop class today, right? And everyone pulls out their saws and stuff. <laughs> but then even the, the roles everybody plays in that, where it's the yeah. guys doing the slicing, the, the other girls are uh, keeping watch. Mm-hmm. And um, th- there is like this, like intentionality to, to do with all the different roles played in here. Cause like mm. in, in terms of like my feeling of what actually, what Termier actually is, I think um, in terms of an entity, like diegetically, like what, what is she? I think she is whatever the story needs her to be in that part, but mm. to not be, mm. to not be a cop out. I do think she's like, some sort of like succubus but i think it it changes because in a way she's it's kind of like she's playing a succubus quantum leap or something because (laughs) um at different stages she's she's a different element and often often she's a different um element of like femininity from like the vision of dudes because Mm. she starts off as being like the uh the hot young um popular girl but it's like oh she's she's been sleeping with the teacher and like she's very um aloof and she's like oh she's is she lying or pretending to be pregnant and stuff and it's like um and it almost feels like not author intent but but like the the feeling of the characters around her is like fuck her like whatever Mm. she died like no big loss it's like people almost like offhand joking about it um and then and then people start to feel well People and then the people who, who like feel guilty about it and then chased by everybody. But then later on, she embodies like different elements. So like when she is the um, uh, I can't remember what the group is called, but yeah, when she's part of that in the photograph one, when she's part of the uh, the hall monitor group, it, <laughs> it, it, it that's a different teenage girl role, like high school teenage girl role. But this time she's like the popular person in in control of the committee, which means she's pretty she's got control of like the will of 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 the student body to a degree and she even has two enforcers so people generally don't want to cross her like in say in american uh, high school fiction you don't want to cross the queen bee like the main mean girl because she'll bury you yeah um and but also in that story at the same time she's the object of affection or the the target of affection to do with like taking her picture and i think like as you go through she feels like different roles like that and then later on it branches out because like later on in one of my favorite which is the painter one she becomes mm. the, the stereotypical muse um and like she replaces another muse um and i think that gets like expanded or complicated later where when it when it we get the uh the two um uh, elderly couple who are who um they're orphans that that they've been getting have been dying um and uh, with that it, the role is not 
now what it was before in terms of like um she's she's the uh you know, the whole stereotypical thing of like, um, she's the girls that guys want to be with and all the girls want to be her type thing. In, <laughs> in, in, in this thing, now she's the object of affection, but a, of a different type of love. Whereas mm-hmm. like, it's it's not just them wanting to have a new daughter, but as, as Greg mentioned uh, earlier, um, it's almost like a vicarious, like live through you type thing. Or like, have someone who reminds me of me in my younger days who I can, you know, like the whole pageant mum thing. Um, yeah. And it, she, she kind of fills that role in that story. And then that, that's complicated further because you have the, the carer who for all intents and purposes has been a daughter to, to the, to that couple. And um, you have the push and pull with that, where then she's actually in a way, the villain of that story because she's been spoilers, poisoning, all the orphans up to then but she's like a side character in this because the whole main thing is like Tomio supernatural and has powers and uh but actually like Tomie is um having an effect on on the other people as she has done in in, in previous books but instead of it being a um like it's the same effects on male and female but here it, it's projected differently because it's it's not um like the grandfather character, uh, like the older guy, he does obviously like have the killing urges that dudes seem to have. But like um, the mother character is like like the sucking essence thing, and it, it is like an evolved version of the other girls, like sticking bits of her hair into them to become her and and such. But like it is reframed in a different way. So to boil down what uh, I was sort of losing the, the thread on. She does feel like um, throughout this story, she is embodying a different archetype of like teenage femininity to some degree, and yeah. and the way how the different characters around her interact with that seems to flag up uh, to some degree uh, whatever the norms are, quote unquote, and the norms are for when this was written, when it was released, but also the diegetic norms in terms of in in the story and what people want desire and expect of of Tomie and what each of the other characters who are affected by her uh, specifically the uh, other teenage girl characters what um, is like expected, desired, wanted of them and how they reflect that back yeah but but yeah she's a succubus (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so like Quinn. throughout throughout that first of all Leon I was doing like dot to dot in my head and I was going something something Jennifer's body but, yes yeah, I'm so yeah, glad you yeah. said it yes yes <laughs> so glad you said it <laughs> I'm not I'm not quite all the way yet but I'm like I'm trying to like connect the dots because I know whoever like I know that the people that, that wrote or worked on Jennifer's body must have read this had to oh have. Mm. must have must yeah. have yeah but, but yeah, it's it's just so like it's and it it's like kind of like a similar line in the whole teenage like the way that it's like what you were saying about the 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 power of like the teenage girls holding all the cards and and the the kind of like representations of teenage femininity and everything else. And um, it also got me thinking about how that when you're talking about the violence that is directed towards Tomie, it is extreme and it is graphic and it is like almost like out of jealousy. Mm. in a way like like they're coveting her and they're almost like because they can they can never own her because you know she is her own 
entity, they can never own her. They can never fully... So, so they must destroy her. Like, in, in seeking something out and being so obsessed with having it that you end up destroying it almost like Moby Dick style. <laughs> but, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, me. Um, no, I, I was just going to, through, through like listening to all of you speak, I was just kind of reminded of several things. One of, one of them is that like, I feel like people that are kind of interacting with Tomie, they have this kind of vampiric relationship to her where they're kind of like feeding off of her, even though she's kind of the malevolent spirit yeah. in the room kind of thing. And like the other thing that kind of stood out to me is that she is in all of these stories, never the subject. She is always object. Like she never kind of gets her say in things. It's always like how people feel about her, what their relationship is to her, how they make her feel. Um, and then, and that just kind of reminded me of, um, you know, Leon, when you were talking about the one of your favorite ones, the one where she becomes the muse. Um, this is this is kind of left field, but it reminded me of um, a poem by Christina Rossetti called "In an Artist's Studio," and it's um I just pulled it up, but it's it's basically just a nameless girl in freshest summer greens, a saint in angel. Every canvas means the same one meaning, neither more or less. He feeds upon her face by day and night, and she, with true kind eyes, looks back on him, fair as the moon and joyful as the light. I'm not gonna read the whole thing out but like it just kind of reminded me of that that whole vibe of like just like feeding off of your subject and and you know the subject being this this young innocent girl like an angel but but <laughs> at the same time you know that that kind of subject and and or that object in, in this poem is replaced by by tomie who does kind of have a power yeah. of her own and it's Definitely. almost like she exists to punish people for their lust and their their like their obsession and everything else like that's that's mm -hmm. her her whole point is to punish people for their folly kind of thing and that's and, the thing it's kind of like reverse succubus in a yeah. way mm, yeah because there's a martyrdom element to it which is the violence yes so so she's she's like she has to die to fully realize the punishment that these people need and in in her dying and in the horror being exposed that she is this this immortal being that can regenerate and, and ruins their life in some way in doing that because like isn't or, there also sorry sorry continue point. no 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 carry on it's fine i was just gonna say because to do with this and like the whole her playing different different roles um there's like an element of like agency because like you're mm. saying vicky like she is uh like never the subject mm -hmm. and like if it, it feels like so it almost becomes like um, a going for the motions thing, uh, mm. how the comic refers to what's going to happen to her, where I'm sure mm. the comic even uh, like says, and of course, you know what had happened next. And it, 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 to do, and that was referring to her being cut up because at that point we'd seen it so many times. <laughs> and like, um, there is this degree where like, because people would come under a haze. So like even the grandmother character, um, she's like, it was, it was on my thought. I like, um, she said this thing, maybe she put it into my head type thing. There is this whole thing of like, not agency where it's like, uh, no, t t like people can't resist her. Me and will do anything that she wants. And then, uh, once they've, uh, like gone through what the, uh, I've like gone through the emotions or gone through what they like, the, I don't know their internal desire for her, then dudes have to kill her. And at different points in the story, other women take a piece of her to become her. And it does feel like a thing of like, 
obviously, she, like she is like the supernatural element, but it's almost like a curse on her mm. or something because. Yeah. Like she's even like, and uh, and now they're gonna kill me at different points, and and like the dudes always go to kill it, and it's like it's this dark thing of like, I don't know, as if she like made a wish with some witch or something, and so like, yeah, you can have this, you can become the most beautiful girl on the land or whatever, but and like this is the but where she has to go through this cycle, and people kill her and bury her and and chop up the body parts and split them all over and. It, it does feel like there's a definite like like reason why the actual monster doesn't really have the agency in terms of what happens to her and what the subjects do beyond her. Because mm. the, there is the thing in the later issue where it's like, it's almost, it's like spy versus spy in a way, <laughs> where it's like Terminator 1 wants you to kill Terminator 2. Mm. And um, you have this thing where, it's just guys going back and forth, really. It's like, oh, they're going to come and kill me. And it's like, oh, I'm here, but Tomia, you're here. But you sent me to kill you. Like, and it's this weird mm. thing of like, um, I, know, I know, obviously this is a reach, but like, I mean, this is my bread and butter reaching. But like, <laughs> it, it does feel like there's a thing to do with how in society, like, actions against women are usually framed from a point of view as if they were asking for it type yes. thing. Yeah. Whether it be violence, sexual violence or whatever, wherever it is, um, not, um, not having pay uh, equity and stuff like that. It, it's always the thing of like, well, if you just did this, blah, blah, or if you didn't do X, blah, blah, blah. And it does feel like that is intentional throughout the story. Mm. Yeah. And, and from the other side of that, the people that tend to fall under Tomio's spell aren't very nice people anyway. Hmm. That that you know, it's it's almost like she is she is a force of nature. This is what I was trying to get at. Like she's like this force of nature, uh, and yes, she has to suffer. And that's the, the there's an element of martyrdom to it in the fact that they eventually kill her and the and and, and all the violence towards her that is directed at her. And like you were saying there, Leon, like the the whole thing with society operating the way it does, and and you know this this kind of culture of, of like framing things as if it was their fault to begin with, which is wrong. Um, but like she, she's like a force of nature that goes where she's needed to teach these people a lesson. Like, mm. especially that model guy. <laughs> like in the, yeah. In, yeah. Like he needed like, you know, like, I mean, I know it, it, that one is like probably one of the most uncomfortable ones for me to read because of what happens to her. But at the same time, like, I feel like it's it was like necessary in order to teach him a lesson because even in the very end he he like you know he 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 failed and and he she she basically like she didn't just bring him down a peg or two she buried him which is fantastic but like it's just the way the way it works like she's yes yes it, on the surface it's this horrible violence towards Tomie and everything else but it's the fact that she's this force of nature that moves where she's needed and she punishes these terrible people because the people she becomes involved with are horrible shallow people and it's almost like she's showing them what's wrong with society like she's making them look in the mirror kind of thing mm. if that makes I think sense that's... I want to try and pick up like a bunch of threads that I've been listening to you guys um talk about and like one thing that i i struggled with with this book was it's unclear 
how she's directly influencing other people's behavior, like it just being them being in her sphere and how that affects how she's affecting them before the violence occurs, like whether it's implicitly influencing them or explicitly and like what her actions do to, to maybe co- cause some of the events that happen. Cause like within the text, Tomie is both the victim and the victimizer is the way I read it. And I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn there or if it's something that I've it's quite a half baked idea, but like, I think there's space to read into that more than Ito maybe does himself. Cause generally like Tomie's MO is concealed. I think like her inception isn't revealed as far as I read into it. And like, she's almost a self-destructive virus, like a hive mind, which has some elements of individuality. And like, the concept, like the, the, the overall concept of Tomie, all the multiples of her, they don't care about the individual consequences of the individual Tomie. And even like the individual entities themselves, they have some level of masquerade or self-denial is how I read it. Because like, it feels like the book is asking an open question that I'm not sure it answers. Because is she, is she or is she not genuinely the victim when she's distressed? Because like we see her playing the part occasionally where... Like we see her playing the part of the um the victimizer, but we also see the genuine fear and the genuine pain and the genuine sadness in her when uh these violences are being you know enacted upon her and like I guess I don't know, I think the answer's somewhere in between or blended um i I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that because like it it opens the space for for how culpable she is herself for the harms she faces. Um, but I feel like that's a, an underdeveloped or at least unaddressed idea within this book, unless I've missed something. Um, yeah, Vicky, do you want to give us your thoughts on all of this? Is she culpable for the harms that she faces? What a question. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, Leon, when you were saying before how like it was it was a it was perhaps a reach to say that this is, you know, a, a comment on like how women are often framed as being like as, as asking for it. I don't think that's a reach at all. I think that's, that's exactly what, what it's about is, you know, I don't, I, because of that, I don't, I don't know that she has. Because it feels like in this book, it, it's, it's in her nature to be the victim. Like that's how I was reading it. And that obviously has its unfortunate implications, which is what you guys have been talking about. And like, not that everything needs to be a direct feminist text, but this, I feel like this story ages quite poorly because of that. Mm. I mean, I did want to ask, like, to what extent do you do you read this as a feminist text or do you read it as a misogynistic text? Because I think it could go, definitely go either way. And I'm not entirely sure which side I kind of fall on either, like mm. having read it as as a woman, <laughs> you know, who who like does a lot of research on on teenage girls and and the horror of, of being a teenage girl and stuff like that. I, I, I honestly don't know, like, where I fall is I want to root for her because mm. I want her to be. I want her to be different from the ways in which other women and other female characters are portrayed in similar texts. But at the end of the day, I don't know if she does necessarily avoid all the trappings of of that trope. Yeah, because like it's a tough one, isn't it? Because yeah. sorry, go on, go on. Go on. I was just going to say to to address to uh, address both of you. Um, it it kind of it has this weird like conundrum thing where um, let's say like grindhouse type movies or like black exploitation movies um or like um the video nasties of like the 70s and 80s where you had a lot of rape revenge thrillers mm-hmm. so like in in some ways um 
those can now, like if you, especially if you do Death of the Author, some elements of those and some whole of those movies can be viewed as like feminist texts and, and have mm. been reclaimed and viewed in that way. Whereas like, um, obviously most of the time they were like written and directed by dudes mm. and um, the sexual assault um, is used as like a sort of shortcut. Um, like how like racial slurs in a movie is used as a shortcut to be like, that's a bad person. Mm. And like, um, a sort is usually like a shortcut to be like a, a, a like activating agent within the, the character so that you get to have your shot or your like action of a woman like impaling rednecks with axes in the heads and stuff like that. And then at the end of it, um, like in, in the Campbell thing, the person, the hero is injured but, and changed, but the, the heroes prevail type thing. And it's meant to sort of be like a cheering thing. But then to a degree, the violence that was happened in act one uh, on, on the main character, a woman, it has an element of like titillation in it. And I don't just mean like how uh, the assault scenes are, are like shot, but also it's like a salacious activity because it's a no-no. Uh, like like extreme violence is, is a no-no yeah. um like sexual violence is a no-no so like throwing it in there can have that but then you, like it, it creates this thing where it's like so, sometimes things that are, are birthed as not like maybe as misogynic te- uh misogynist texts can be reclaimed like or elements of them can be complained as like uh like ac- accidental feminism and mm. I, I think there's like a trap because there was like definitely a trap for like uh, like dudes like whether it be like male reviewers or male nerds and forums and stuff where you could champion your different like um, like heroines and be like uh, whenever it was like a bad faith attempt to rail at a Mary Sue quote unquote mm. it'd be like they're not like this character who did all this and da 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 like. Um, and it's like, yeah, sometimes it can be like a bit dodgy because it's so that there, there's such a compelling like need to want the art that you've engaged with and like to be positive. Yeah. Um, that sometimes there is that thing. Cause like even stuff like, um, so like in the nineties and beyond when it became a thing to be like, if, if the lead character is a woman and can punch people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, then it's girl power. She's like powerful and but then, strong female character. Yes, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, strong female character. But then throughout the context of those, um, even if we weren't necessarily getting the oh, we got to have a threat. Mm, what's a good threat to have against a woman character? Oh, sexual violence again. But yeah. if, if it wasn't doing that, it was kind of doing the shortcut thing of like, okay, so. I'm a 45 year old dude in like in LA or whatever. And I'm going to type like I'm a 17 year old girl. Um, and there's going to be things where it's like, it's not the win you think it is where like mm. the character is like all hung up on boys and stuff, but she's a bad ass strong female character because she killed all these zombies and stuff. Mm. And I think there is, there's a, an uncomfortable sort of balance there where I don't think it's as neat as we, yeah. we'd like it to be. 
I like yeah. that you guys yeah. have kind of like cracked open my my cranium and like splayed open my brain and like dissecting what's been <laughs> keeping me awake for the past four days. Because <laughs> well, I've hard been to figure out, isn't it? You know, you know that meme. Like, what is he thinking about? I bet he's thinking about other women. <laughs> You've seen that meme. Like, this, this was me sitting in bed. Like, like, what is he thinking about? I bet he's thinking about other women. Is Tomie a feminist text or not? <laughs> like, I'm trying to like trying to like work it out. Mm. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what's been keeping me awake. For, like for me trying to like figure that out like or, or or at least be able to do something other than sit on the fence because there's points of it where i feel like it is like intensely misogynistic but then mm. in this representation of of like the way it represents tomie and the way tomie is represented as like well i mean the words they used to describe her like uppity and 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 yeah. like, snooty and and things like that and it's just it's, it's the snooty mm. bitch or whatever and and the way the things they call her in the book and but but then there's like this overarching theme of like I said like she exists to punish people for that, mm. and it's it's almost like I couldn't I can't reconcile that and I can't I can't really get, I can't really say either way what my opinion is or where it falls on that because I want to say that it could be maybe like Leon said reclaimed as accidental feminism as a as a feminist text in that way, in in like a way that people now look at like Leon mentioned the video nasties like things like I spit on your grave. Um, but the problem with films Which was like, literally the one I was thinking of as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. The problem with films like <laughs> yeah. Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. Uh, Last House on I'm thinking of the right one, aren't I? Last House on the Left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. The problem with that is like Leon said, A, it's it's like the the way they frame and, and do the the first half of the film, the amount of time they spend on that as well. Mm. They usually draw it out. It's usually very drawn out, it's usually very brutal. They usually spend like a good twenty minutes of the film like on this whole like brutal assault and mm-hmm. then the the vengeance that comes after that do you not ever feel that it feels kind of empty and doesn't really like it's it's out of balance it's still out of balance like there's no payoff it, almost. it does i i completely agree with you and i think part of that leon touched on already is that you know this was rape revenge thrillers were predominantly produced by men like for men um, and it's very much the male gaze still at work where, you know, there's there's so much concentration on the first half of it, you know, in which a woman is assaulted. Um, and and part of that is meant to titillate the audience in some kind of really, really, really sick way. Um, and the end, the payoff just kind of, you're right, it always falls flat. And like, the, the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, is Tomie a rape revenge thriller? Like, is that is that a way to read it? Is that how it's being framed? Um, I think it's a really interesting question, especially because, and this is kind of slightly getting off topic, but have any of you watched Promising Young Woman? No, it's high no. up my list. It is stunning. It is so uncomfortable. It is such an uncomfortable and triggering film. But it is, I think, so important because it is a film that turns that rape revenge narrative on its head. And it's a film that's made by a woman. And it has very much this kind of female gaze at work. And I think it, it is really, I don't, I don't want to spoil what happens just because I think it's, you know, it's, it's good if you go into it kind of blind, not knowing what to expect. Cause the more you explain it, the, the less powerful yeah. it is when you watch it for the first time, but give it a watch. Cause I think it's worth kind of comparing to a text like Tomie in some kind of way. And I'd never thought about that before, but, but the more I think about it now, I'm just like, this is, this is cool. <laughs> this connection exists. I mean, it's telling that we've, we, as a group, we've literally talked about Junji Ito for hours before. And this topic hasn't come up until now because before it's always been dealing with like 
something relatively more abstractly conceptual. Um, mm. And it's it's here that where we sort of encounter the issue with um, Ito's writing and then have to wrestle with it. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's, it's it. I can't really reconcile it and I don't know which way I fall, which side of the fence I fall on. And I, I, I want to, I so want to say that it is, uh, that I can look at it from that angle and I want to continue to look at it from that angle, but I know that the other angle exists. Yeah. And that, and yeah. I, I think, I think though, like for me personally, um, I, a lot of work that I like, and I think nearly every, every bit of like compelling art is, can be uncomfortable. And it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable, not um, for, due to a number of factors. Who made it? When it was made? Where was it made? Blah 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 blah. Who does it deal with? Da, da 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 And I think that there's, I think you, there's a lot to like learn and a lot to engage with when you have a text like this, which um, like uh, rides or I was going to say sits on the fence, but not really. But when you have a text like this, which um, in parts um, truly feels progressive and mm. then in other parts feels either regressive or um, like par for the course um, mm. for like the time and the medium and the the country it was made and, and all of that, that um, I think that in, in a way uh, the good and the bad, quote unquote, to to flatten them, work in concert uh, uh, with each other because, like in the same way of the point I was making to do with like um, like those those movies made by male directors, I think that they thought that was generally a positive thing, and in a way, for some people and at the time, there was a positive for that because I think before that you would have had like Straw Dogs or something, and in mm. Straw Dogs. Uh, a woman is assaulted, but the main hero of the movie is the dude who's getting mm-hmm. revenge for everything. And so already those video nasties like Last House on the Left, The Hills of Eyes and all that, they um it it's the uh the uh the female protagonist is the one the person who was the victim in Act One is now getting this revenge and that's already like a step in in a slightly more he feels weird to use the word progressive with that, but like in a slightly more progressive situation because n- now it's at least the victim who is getting um, like justice for yeah. for what happened, but I think that um, it's like a push and a pull. Mm. And I, I don't, yeah, I don't. I think this is what we we things can get complicated in terms of um, viewing a, a text uh, and having to make a complete judgment on on a text, especially one that mm. is um, segmented to the degree this one was and was released over time as 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 this one was. Like uh, the last issues here are almost a different comic, yeah. Than yeah. the first issues, yeah, definitely. Like by the end of the book, it's it's something else entirely. Um, it starts off as a very um, urban legendy and very very typical manga style as well. Um, very typical of its time. Very typical um, art style. And then it, it evolves and becomes something else entirely and becomes this whole new thing that you end up looking at from a completely different angle. And it's very telling, like you say, Leon, that this has taken place over 13 years. 
and it's yeah. like the the kind of like the changes in attitudes between 1987 and the year 2000 mm. at work maybe i don't know um i think to a degree yeah what you say is is right on the money because um there's a level almost where it feels like the later issues of the book are commenting on the early issues of the book and even mm. to use like the painter as one and, and the idea of the muse and the the artist um like not being able to fully capture um Tomier's essence in 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 a, in their pictures and like taking a photo someone taking a photo thinking like ah uh, uh, see I've taken the perfect thing but like actually no she doesn't want that like she wants to see she almost wants to see what the, what her influence um has done on an artist for what they're going to like pull out of yeah. it she doesn't because because she doesn't want I don't know what this exactly is commenting on, but she doesn't want to actually see herself. Yeah. Mm. And and it kind of like um, another one from later in the book, actually, that's another one of my favorites that takes this in a completely different direction is Babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just I feel like that that is like where that's another one that, that kind of like has a completely different form of manipulation and takes things in a completely different direction and puts a completely different like vibe on on the whole thing like um because with that one i'm getting vibes of like society and basket case like that sort of film and and like i don't know like because it's just this completely different because now what we're getting is like the kind of like interaction between mother and child but in a way that the mother is kind of like it, it's like you are the you are kind of like responsible for that child and it's almost like there's like this whole metaphor going on with her being imprisoned with Tomie in the basement of this building and like the only way to sate the child is to show it like death or or, or you know ruinous things like fire and things like that and I don't know like that that takes things in a whole other direction and I don't know if you have any opinions on that at all um Vicky I'm just um, flipping through the pages right now because I had to remind myself. And I think the reason I can't remember this one is because I've repressed it. Um, (laughs) There's something so horrific about that image of like the small, you know, baby and that's like been swaddled with this horrible, horrible face because he he draws faces so well and and they're so they're so creepy yeah. that actually like in my in my like I, I have so little recollection of the story and I think the reason must be that I was so horrified by it that I just couldn't I couldn't process what was happening which I feel kind of applies to like a lot of stories in this collection is that some of them are just there's so much strong imagery and some of it really sticks out as like stuff that I will never ever forget and some of it I just really deeply want to forget <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's so creepy yeah ba- babysit is one of my favorites for that like because i can just i don't know why i have this like this soft spot for like um r- like you know like films that use like crazy rubber prosthetics and stuff like that and <laughs> like yeah. i can imagine i don't know why like have you ever seen basket case or society me yeah I've not, no. Oh no, yeah. Well Oh like, wait, no, actually society. I just watched that yesterday. Yeah. 
well like... <laughs> yeah that's so funny that was that was uh a, a trip i i was not sure what i was watching for a good part of it but it was really fascinating in terms of like a body horror picture i've never never even heard of it before but the <laughs> just the end you know that that weird kind of like orgy sequence i was just like what what is happening but it's like yeah and and basket case is is like a slasher film about a guy and his conjoined twin and they were separated and he keeps the conjoined twin in a basket (laughs) and people get stabbed (laughs) but like um like i'm just like this this little deformed thing in this basket this like his conjoined twin oh god Um, and like i just think of i was looking at the the design for marina slash tomie and I was thinking of basket case because like, it's this whole, like this, mm. this, this kind of like deformed secret that you keep in the basement type vibe going on. And like the child is like, it's growing out of its own heart kind of thing. And it's just swaddled and, it, you know, and the whole, the whole reveal thing where it's like, just look at it, will you? Like, <laughs> when mm. they're, like looking through the bars and things and then going out and committing arson. And then like, just the, the society vibes, I guess, is the fact that they're like a rich family. And it, it just, I can just fully imagine this realized as like an actual feature film mm-hmm. where it's like they hire a babysitter and she ends up locked in with some sadistic little monster <laughs> <laughs> who's not actually a child, you know? Yes. And like makes you do things like, like show me something red. You have to show me something red drives you nuts until you cut your own wrist to bleed everywhere to show us something red, that kind of stuff. And I can imagine this, this, like this 1980s, early nineties style rubber prosthetic as the baby kind of thing. <laughs> this, this like rubber glove puppet thing in the, in the crib or whatever with like this horrible grating voice. I don't know. It just, it, that's, that's why, like, and, and I think that takes the, that takes the thing in a whole completely different direction because up till then you've been having like Tomie represented as this, this beautiful young woman, this, or a teenage girl and like everyone coveting her beauty. And then now she's this like malformed, wretched, ugly little baby thing growing out of its own heart that is manipulating people to commit arson and and you know all kinds of like violent heinous crimes to to sate her to keep her like they will do anything to keep her quiet to to spoil mm-hmm. her in a way like almost like a spoil like a, like what you would do like a spoiled child you'll do anything to stop that kid screaming so you will give that kid the chocolate that that kid wants kind of thing and it, it's that has that kind of vibe instead, and it's a whole different kind of manipulation and a whole different kind of of people. Um, it's almost like it, instead of them coveting um, what Tomie is, or wanting to own what Tomie is, or wanting to to be what Tomie is, they are now like enslaved by Tomie in a way that they will do anything to sate her desires and keep her kind of like calm which it's like they're not it's it's not like they're because in in the other um stories there's almost like this euphoric element like they almost get something out of it themselves like you were saying like like vampiric like they 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 want to serve her because Mm -hmm. they they love her but in this it's like they don't love her they don't want to serve her they just know that they have to 
Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because like yeah. I feel like robbed of the context of like teenage girl who is beautiful, and then you know all of a sudden Tomie isn't that she's this monstrous little thing. I don't even know how to describe it, but like you're right, just like you know her face on the proportions of a swaddled baby that's growing out of a heart. It's just it's so grotesque that I, I feel like this kind of just almost disrupts the entire narrative. Yeah. Like, like what is this trying to say when you're when you take Tomie out of her normal context? Like, and like, does this come back to that question of culpability that you raised, um, Rahul? Like, does does this make her more culpable? Is she more involved in in her own narrative now? Does this like almost lend her a sense of agency? I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I can answer that just <laughs> right now. <laughs> you got a you got a way of looking at that, Ray? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the reason I asked the difficult question is because there's smarter people in the room than me and I wanted to hear what they had to say about it. Because <laughs> um, I, I guess I don't have an answer. Like, um, I the thing I was wrestling with was uh, her agency and then also she is almost like an object in some ways, like the way she's been written, the way that she's like um, the mythical gem in the room that sort of corrupts people's minds. Like, that's how I... That's particularly that... Um, that issue because as you said she's divorced of the um like the human elements that uh her victims are attracted to um yeah it just it changes the way you look at it and it's one of those ones that sort of put me on edge i think Mm. and it it just completely books the trend like I, i should also point out vicky you said that this is one of the ones that um, had blanked out in your head. It's also yeah. li- literally the only chapter on my entire document where I've been taking little notes of them, where I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I yeah. genuinely like I I didn't remember that one. Like when you brought it up, I was like, oh, which one is this one? But there must be a reason for that, and it's because it doesn't fit the narrative, right? Like it's, it's an easy one to forget and not have anything to say. It's the outlier. Yeah. It books the trend, which is probably the reason I like it as well. Like, because yeah. I'm I'm drawn to stuff like that, where it's like, what is so special about this one? Why is this so different to the rest of them? Kind of thing. I, um, I do like the 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 concept of like handing off your um, your problems just to somebody else and like them <laughs> in a room with it is as horrific in and of itself. I think. And and this is the one that also kind of embodies that absurdity that um, mm. you mm-hmm. kind of know Junji O four. Like he has this kind of like um, what what he does is he walks the line between horror and comedy, and this is one of the. This is one of the the like the po- points in the book where I was reading it, and there's point there's bits in this that I don't know whether I should be laughing at it or whether I should be horrified by it. <laughs> and it's it's like it it kind of like it walks that fine. There is a real fine line between horror and comedy, and I think I think Junji Ito kind of sits right on the line. Like he doesn't fall either side of it like a lot of things do like some things are either that you know they either fall flat and end up funny or they fall the other side of it and and are truly horrifying a lot of junjito's work kind of sits right on that line because there's parts of uzumaki as well and and other books like Gyo where i you know i know that i should be like oh wow this is grotesque but i'm just like actually in fits of laughter almost in tears laughing at some of it because it's like it's you, you think of it in when you read it, it, you initially read it and you get the, the, the shock off it and the hit. And then you go back to it in your mind and you're like, that's actually kind of hilarious. You know, like a yeah. man turning himself into a spiral. Like mm-hmm. that, that whole scene in the first chapter of Uzumaki where he manages to work himself into a spiral inside a basket. It's like, <laughs> it's just so absurd. <laughs> so mental. I know. Like... <laughs> I mean, now that I now that I think about it, like 
I don't know. There's something like my mind just kind of goes to the concept of like monstrous progeny, you know, like monstrous reproduction. Like there's something about inherently kind of like monstrous about women's ability to reproduce and to like bear children from like a Western societal lens that like I, I, I my mind can't not go there when when this is Tomie is like a, a literal kind of like baby, because like in other stories, when we see kind of like her, the results of her reproduction, it's her. And it's her as like a fully formed woman or like parts of a woman or like, you know, fragmented like femininity. But this is kind of this doesn't really have a gender dimension to like like the baby. (laughs) It's it's just it's all over the place. I don't know. My mind's just kind of racing, trying to make sense of it. And I still can't. (laughs) I mean, could it also be um, like if if I put it this way, the the shackles of motherhood almost Mm, like. mm -hmm. Like, in a way, like, you're looking at it like what motherhood can do to to, to completely flip up and upend the life of, of a young woman. Um, mm. And in the way that it becomes almost like a prison in yeah. in, 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 to, in the minds of some people. Like, some people would, would, would feel that way about it. And in the way that that, that babysitter, the, the woman, the, the, the hired babysitter is then locked in the room with the child but it's not just a room there's a kitchen in there and everything but it's like those four walls and that child are now your life (laughs) and it's not even your child (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) someone else's child that you're having to take care of and the only way to shut it up is to like hold it up and show it out the window and show it all the the harms of the world that it's like quote-unquote actual parents have instigated on it like it's 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 a weird story (laughs) it is horrible (laughs) Leon, but clearly you know, loads of ways to to read into it sorry go on. exactly i was gonna ask i was gonna ask leon actually if leon had anything to say about that one the one that books the trend the anomaly no no i, I think you guys have covered really all, all, <laughs> all the uh all the angles that i could have mentioned about this one i, I do think it um i know it is there to sort of um maybe help help you reframe the rest of the the stories that focus uh, uh, about uh, Tomie? I mean, it's also the one that comes directly before um, what I think is a story with one of the most, the, the saddest endings, but also one of the least violent endings in some ways, um, at least for the, the principal or one of the principal like protagonists, because um, Gathering, which, yeah, I, 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 that, that's the one where uh, it's about a grieving husband um, and he's sort of dragged into this this cult of Tomie. Uh, and it ends with like, it, it, I find it ends with violence because it ends with like a massive pile of dead bodies, but it's not, it's a pile of dead bodies for the people who have been um, drawn into this cult. Again, but again, the, you don't know whether to laugh or be horrified. It's completely absurd. Mm. I, I found it extremely sad the way this one ended because it's like, he, he was almost the, he's one of the few incorruptible yeah. Um, actors in this whole book, but it's his dreams that have been tarnished, and I th- I just thought that was like genuinely upsetting. <laughs> but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, like on the flip, on the one hand, you've got like this whole narrative about cults and preying on vulnerable people hmm. to bring them in because it, it is a hmm. cult. It's a cult. Like yeah. you, you, I've I've listened to like I've been listening to like loads of podcasts about cults, like these 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 guys that break down like uh, true crime stuff about cults and things like that, and. Mm. and like you just 
on the one hand, it is it is totally framed like a cult. You've got this cult of people uh, all gathering together, meeting under control of one person, uh, strict control of one person who has this kind of like carrot and stick reward punishment system that keeps people under control. Um, and, and then you've got like this whole thing where it, it, this guy is clearly vulnerable because he is bereaved and he is being brought into the cult in this, this kind of like vulnerable, malleable state. But like, like Rahul has pointed out, he is completely incorruptible. And, and then like the bit that the, the other side of that, the bit that I'm saying is actually that I, I was like a little bit like giggled at is, is like this pile at the end of people just like, it's almost slapstick in a way because they're all yeah. trying to kill Tomie, but they end up stabbing each other. Like that's not Tomie's arm. That's my arm and things like that. And it just, and then the way Junjito draws it, like this big pile of people on top of each other with like blood spurts, just spewing out like a chalk, like a fountain of some, like a fountain or something like a, a stone structure in the middle of a fountain. And it's just, I don't know. Like there's just something about that. There's just something truly absurd about that image that prompted like a, laughter response in me i don't know why but yeah <laughs> and and i thought it, it just yeah it's just that i i i don't know that's that's just me though i don't i i, I probably i shouldn't be laughing at it but i was and um i think that's yeah and and i i love this this whole like this whole narrative he has going with the cult thing and the way that he he brings in like how cults work and everything else he's very um it's very insidious, actually, that one. Mm. It's like a real insidious through line there. It's like, it's really like, um, it's not on the surface horrifying at the beginning because it look, it everything looks pretty normal and commonplace. But then like, there's this real like under kind of like um, bubbling undercurrent there of, of just like, and, and this is like, as we've gone through like each, each bit that, you know, when we've been like bringing up like specific chapters and things like that, like, have you not noticed like how many different horror genres mm -hmm. we have yeah. like traveled mm. through and how Junji Ito has almost used Tomie as a vehicle for exploring different genres of horror. Yeah. To crib something that uh, you said earlier, Vicky, like leaking possibility, like not just the, the character, but also it leaks possibility in like mm. the concepts that he gets to play with throughout the book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I, I hadn't thought about it that way before, but you're absolutely right. Like, cause, cause to me, you know, reading this as a gothicist, I, I can't not think about it as like <laughs> through the lens of like strictly gothic horror. This is a gothic horror text. And like, and I, I think, you know, to a, to a certain extent, like that makes it more easy to digest for me. Like I, I understand the gothic. Like I know that, you know, the gothic has this innate ability to sit on the fence and to you know it never offers any kind of like tidy answers it just kind of raises more questions and and you know and there's 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 never any kind of like clear good clear bad kind of scenario it's just like the hallmark of the gothic is like it's it's untidy but but subdividing like I, I the, the stories into like further different genres of horror that's not something that actually occurred to me but you're absolutely right i think that's that's really really fascinating because you're right like all the stories are so what what stands out to me is like they're they're really quite different and like and there are so many strong images and like and there's so many things like just to discuss but but like even like the the comedic element to it like it's uncomfortable 
it's uncomfortable that there's so much absurd horror like so much absurd like comedy in in these really really horrific stories but yes please don't let me ramble on someone else someone else comment on this while i gather my thoughts (laughs) leon you got anything to add to that um yeah i'll I'll just say it, it does like relate to when i was like she's succubus quantum leap because um <laughs> i think that uh within the story she is she's like a tool to address a certain different like facet or a certain different uh situation or in, in environment in which these horrors and sort of not just how people interact with and, and view um like teenage girls in in that sort of way but also this idea of like beauty and desire but um i think like also like like you said outside of the text i think that not just that different genres like she's a vehicle to tell stories with different genres of horror but i i think that or more more so a more um impressed by the fact that that the the different genres that uh, Junji Ito uses to do that with the Tomie character is um it all feels like it works it doesn't feel like one came before the other like oh i'm going to do this type of thing so blah 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 it 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 definitely feels like okay so in this circumstance he's done this this type of tone because he wants to tell this type of story uh, yeah. with the character and it does i know like he hides hides the strings um well in his application of that yeah it's almost like um like what greg was saying before about how uh the first few chapters are very urban legendy like i read the entire book as being an anthology of various urban legends and then it so happens that tomie is like the nexus of all of them like hidden in the background like she she's claiming ownership of the, these various unexplained horrors going out throughout Japan. I just thought that was an interesting idea. Like mm, it's, yeah. it, it allows for that framework. Well, I love that. It it starts off entirely with its target audience. And then like, cause this book was like this, this, this was like I said at the, the top of the episode, this was originally published in a magazine aimed at young teenage girls, shoujo manga right now it starts off very what i would say is with its target demographic with the high school story and everything else and the urban legendiness of it but then it kind of like it it escalates beyond that and like by the end of the book i i i find it i it's not something that i would find very by the end of it it's not something that i would find as a very easy sell to 13 14 year old kids <laughs> you know yeah um, I just, yeah I, because yeah, yeah like you say at, at some point it stops talking to them yeah mm. um, and then starts talking like uh in general about the different uh facets that um th- this type of monster um could um like participate in mm. it's like he started writing it for the magazine then started writing it for himself at some point <laughs> almost <laughs> you know like i'm not i'm not trying to appeal to these people anymore but they're going to print it anyway 
kind of thing. It's like, I don't know. But I mean, I know, I know like it would have, um, I know that had I been 13 or 14 years old in Japan, this would have appealed to me massively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And, um, I don't know if I would have had, I, I don't know what you guys feel, but I don't know if I, I, how I would have, cause I can't, I can't put myself in that head. But I think, I think back then, if I had read this as a 13, 14 year old, like my perception of it would have been that it was just like, I would have focused on the, the horrific drawings and the gore. Like that would have been, because back then I was, a, I was a bit more of a gore hound where horror's concerned and things like that. I used to like, um, these films with like lots of fake blood and rubber prosthetics and, you know, like, like people, um, zombie movies, that type of thing. So I think, I think back then, like it it would have been like, my focus would have been the gore houndiness of it and everything else. But now I'm getting more into like looking at it now and who I am now. I'm, I'm, I'm more into the kind of like the psychological side of it. And this kind of like this, I'm more into like the in, the insidious like creep of the whole thing, and like but again another one of my favorite chapters is like the um, the 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 hospital stuff, mm. um, and I love that. I love the the whole idea. Like this is this is the thing that like kind of begins to blow the doors open on the idea of what Tomia is and what Tomia can be because this is where it starts to kind of like branch out a little bit. Um, but this is like the, the, the bit that I, what I really liked, the stuff that I really liked in this was the kidney transplant and then the kidney becoming another Tomie inside the other girl. And Mm. then that girl taking on Tomie's features through absorbing Tomie cells. Like, and then them, them doing kinds of like all kinds of weird experiments on the Tomie tissue in the basement. And then that weird guy who's just in the cupboard, who's never really explained. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's just... I don't know. That's where it started to branch out and, and where like I thought almost that this is going to be like the escalation thing and it's going to do what Uzumaki did and what Gyo did, but it doesn't because that mm. happens and then it stops and then something else begins and it goes on a different direction. And by the end of it, instead of having one um, sort of like, if you imagine like, so, so if I was to do the story as a diagram, like instead of having like a, a line that then becomes a cone and branches out and gets wider and wider, which is like the escalation, You've got a, it starts off and then it becomes a tree because you've got different branches going off in different directions with different twigs. Um, mm. And I mean, this is why I described her as a virus earlier. Cause yeah. like, and maybe it's mm, case we're in yeah. right now, like living through COVID, like she, it, <laughs> it is that maybe we're not given her like true inception. She might've been around for eons as far as we know, but we see her inception um, during this high school drama and then during this um, like hospital drama. And then yeah. it's like the infection spreads and it literally is because it's like how her blood cells or how just the existence, her matter, if it exists somewhere, it will grow again to, and, and be um, warped or evolved based on its environment. Like, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought that through fully, but uh, maybe, maybe there's something to do with like COVID being in my head <laughs> and the way that she's propagating through the world and through time, because this book spans quite a lot. Uh, quite a big chunk of time especially by the end i would i would love a tomie story set in feudal japan or something like yeah that'd be cool Mm -hmm. to see what would go on with that 
Like I can, I can actually imagine like kind of like a setup for it where she would be, um, a, a, a Ronin or something would happen across her in, in the forest and mm. would be leading her back to town. And then something weird would happen from there, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. And then how those things would manifest for the people that she's interacting, yeah. interacting with at that time. Exactly. That, that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Rahul, like onto the subject of like, cause I was talking about how like I probably would have interacted with this had I been younger or part of the target demographic. Like, what do you, how do you feel about that? Like what, as a 13, 14 year old Ray, had you been given this book, what would your, uh, this, this totally would have been my gem. And like, I think slightly less on the grotesque side, I think more the, the humor and like the concepts, cause I'm really drawn to concepts. Like I grew up loving like the Twilight Zone stuff. So I have a a kind of love-hate relationship with how Twilight Zone blunt ending some of his stories are, where, like, you know, uh, Tomie's headless body arose, spread blood everywhere, and then walked out. Or, like, um, like the boy one, where it's, uh, it shows how she tried to be this, this corrupt mother figure, and it ends with, like, um, and they all live miserably ever after. Like, I kind of, that's the kind of thing I think I would have dug as a kid. Um, and, like, now it's more reading into the nuanced relationships um, between her and all the various actors she interacts with and like what, what can, what can be the, the most horrific like outcome or entity for those people? I, I think is what I'm drawn to. So let's see. Uh, so Vicky, like, how about you? Like as, as a younger, like, how would <laughs> 13 you, year old. Yeah. Yeah. As a 13, what 14 year old or part of the target demographic, like, Oh, I would have loved this. I would have loved yeah. it. Well, because I, I grew up in Asia as well, right? Like 13-year-old yeah. me, very, very into this concept of like Asian horror. But I think, you know, more than anything at that age, I loved a teen scream. I still love a teen scream. I love things set in high school. I just love, like, I mean, this this story aside, like, I, I feel like, you know, most American kind of horror films, like, or teen screams are set in like the American high school. Right. And, mm. and I, I feel like this, this almost has a very American quality to it. Um, I don't, I don't really know <laughs> what high school is like in Japan. So I'm probably just, um, I probably got that wrong, but I, I love, like, as you say, that urban legend kind of aspect to it, because there is that, that teen scream, the horrible one called urban legends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was one of my favorite films growing up. Um, 13 year old me loved that film. Um, but I think now looking at it, it is, it is really the, the question of to what extent is this a, is this a feminist text or is this a, an anti-feminist text that really gets me? Um, cause well, everything that we've, we've discussed so far, I think that's just, just been such a fascinating conversation. Yeah. Do you definitely. think in Japan, they read like Goosebumps? books and discuss it the way we're discussing this you know uh, do you know i i hope they do because yeah. I, love <laughs> I feel i feel like this is just this is just so much more put together and so much more like the quality of this versus the because because this is aimed at the same people the goosebumps books are aimed at right so uh-huh. the quality of this versus the quality of something like a goosebumps book because i used to read goosebumps books when i was like 10 11 years old and i just I don't know. It's it's almost like this. This doesn't because like horror aimed at this is this is what I was I was trying to the conversation I wanted to get into actually because horror aimed at, at like young teenagers or, or in in the West seems to be a lot more tame by mm. comparison. We don't get like there's a lot more gore and there's a lot more violence and it's a lot less 
it doesn't sugarcoat things as much. Sure. Though, I mean, like, uh, t- taking, discounting, like, the visual imagery, which I know is a, a tough thing to do with Junji Ito, because, like, a, a big part of what appeals is the visual imagery. But, like, I think conceptually, I think, like, for exa- taking Goosebumps, for example, I think there are a lot of, like, heady concepts in those books. I think there, there is an equivalency there. I don't want to discount, like, that there's a, Western there's an equivalency. horror too much. There's an yeah. equivalency, but it's like the Fisher-Price version. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is. It really is. Like, when I think about some of the stories I read for Goosebumps books, they're more like adventure novels. Mm, yes. there's, there's a horror element, but it's like an adventure story. And it's like you've got, you know, two protagonists, like... um fighting their way through an adventure like it's like it's got that adventure element that kind of like keeps it to a, a you know keeps it in in a more uh, keeps it to the to the, the 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 paved area instead of like letting it wander off into the weeds um and i think that's what makes goosebumps something that remains like you can i would read that now and it, it, it being an adult, like, I would read a Goosebumps book, but I wouldn't get anything out of it. Whereas, like, Tomie aimed at the same age group, almost. And then I would go, I'm reading Tomie now as an adult, and I'm getting something out of it. Um, Leon, do you have anything to add to that? Like, how would, how would a 13, 14-year-old Leon have interacted with Tomie? Um, I mean... Uh... Like what you guys have said, and like what, um, especially what, what uh, Vicky said regarding like teen fiction. You go, you guys know me. Like, the, uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't just start watching my teen fiction like five years ago. I've been watching it since I was a teen and, and younger. And now I could put have a teen if I had started early enough. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm still watching, still watching it. And horror, um, especially because um, horror, like sci-fi is a genre that i love because both of those genres seem to be almost i guess they're they're the most explicit but also implicit about displaying the anxieties at the um at the time or Mm. um regarding the people who've made it so like Mm. you learn you learn a lot about the country society by watching the horror movies that came out during that decade. And it's a thing that I've always loved because it's John, that type of high genre is such an easy way to uh, almost be like a gateway drug to like talk about racism, but without Mm. having to make it an after school special type thing. Mm. Um, And so like, and I, I, I think I would I would have really um, gelled with it, but for me, especially back then, and I was like a, a massive weeb then, um, it would have been more a thing of like almost what, like what you were saying, Greg, where I'd have been like I would have been very like there's nothing like this in the West, and I would have been very into it in, in that way, just like mind boggled at, at at what I was reading. But I'm trying to think what age it was because I was reading like different different types of older manga at the time. When I when I was a teenager, so it, it would have like fit into that, like those like probably badly um, translated dark horse imports. Yeah, like it, it would have fit nicely in in into my collection of of those types of things. But um, 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely would have reacted to it, but I think that um, the highfalutin nonsense that I've been saying tonight, uh, <laughs> a very small percentage of that would have occurred to me at the time <laughs> because yeah. I was I wasn't active. I think I've always been quite an active. Um, uh, what's the word? Like media consumer, but um, that obviously expanded in my later teens and onwards. But I, I always because the thing is, I like to. Even now, I like to sit into the roller coaster and enjoy the roller coaster, um, and and it's kind of like a passive thing where, like, during the roller coaster, I'm like, oh, it's cool how these arcs uh, like spin us and make us do loop the loops. I'll think about that later. And then when I get off the roller coaster, I'm like, okay, let me break down the roller coaster. But um, <laughs> I think back then there was a lot more of um, things would hit me days after rather than it being like a passive thing that happens during it. Yeah. I wasn't fully into my manga consumption phase back then. Like I think it was like sort of like 15 around the age of 15 is when I like truly got into like reading and buying a lot of manga. I was reading things like Naruto and uh, like started with things like Dragon Ball, that kind of stuff. But like, I think back then uh, like 13 14 years old um most of the stuff i was reading was like western comics so i was reading a lot of spider-man and that kind of stuff and i i used to like watching um like monster things like monster of the week type stuff and i liked monster stories i liked seeing this was like part of the appeal of marvel to me because i used to like like mutants and monsters and stuff like i used to like reading like about the Hulk and the way the Hulk transformed and the Hulk transformation process and, you know, the difference between Hulk and Banner and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I think, I think it, the appeal for me, like I was saying, cause I was a bit like into the gore and everything else. The appeal for me with this would have been like the, the monstrousness of it and, and like Junji Ito's mind blowing, like monstrous art, basically like the grotesqueness mm. of it all. Um, because that that would have been where I sat with it. Like, I mean, yeah. And I wouldn't have, it would have blown my tiny mind because I wouldn't have known an awful lot about manga at all at that point. <laughs> I, I, you guys always give me like reasons to reflect on my childhood because like we yeah. come across this a lot where we had different upbringings. But I, I think one of the things is I wouldn't have been allowed to have had something that was so overtly grotesque in uh, as a kid. Oh. Um, which is why I was so I, I loved horror stories like I loved horror books and novels and whatever as a kid because you can s- sort of hide that so I get the feeling if I'd have encountered um like Junjito's work in a library I would have had to have consumed it all in one sitting and like I think the thing I would have been addicted to is that the, you know the final page flip where the 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 horror is revealed and like there's something very like dopamine hitting ad- addictive about that mm. um yeah, those concepts is what I would have been drawn back yeah. to, I think. I, my mum wouldn't necessarily have let me have it. Like, had I asked for it for <laughs> yeah. Christmas or something, I would not have yeah, got yeah. it. But, but it, would have been, it would have been something that I probably would have, like, I'd have bought it myself with my own money or something. And oh, just, but, yeah. Like, yeah. but to that same point, like, I wouldn't have been able to bring home any sort of comic that... I, I never brought home comics. I didn't really read them as a I kid. Wouldn't, it, it, I wouldn't have yeah. paraded it through the house and shown it to my parents. I would have just <laughs> took it upstairs and just like put it at the back of my bookshelf or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, so um, I guess that leads us to kind of like 
the end of this kind of like uh, conversation. So what I think what we should do is we should wrap up by um, just giving it like, you know, favorite visual gimmick, favorite concept and best story. So uh, let's go around one by one and just see what, um, what everyone has. So, I mean, Ray, uh, we'll start with you. What, what was your, your favorite story of the, the, your favorite chapter and kind of like your favorite sort of like visual gimmick or whatever. Okay, so you're asking uh, like three different questions there. Um, yeah, yeah. Best story, I really don't. I don't think I have an answer for. Um, I think I mentioned the one that I found the most affecting, if not not necessarily the most effective, but the one that I felt like, oh shit, that that's deep. Was <laughs> gathering like to be able to corrupt the incorruptible guy's like dreams of his dead wife. Like it's just that's just awful. Um, like that one hit me quite hard. I thought, uh, yeah, but my favorite. Beautiful. Yeah, um, but my favorite visual or like horror gimmicky one was hair. Like, there's just something, um, I don't know, there's just something so funny and disturbing about like, just the way, okay, so the way it ends where uh, one of the one of the girls just suddenly like vomits hair out of all her pores. <laughs> just like, I, I, had to, I was just staring at that image for, you know, like for a good five <laughs> minutes. It's, it's crazy. And also, like, the idea that there's two girls who are being affected by, like, this concept of, um, you know how we mentioned how Tommy is a virus and any remaining matter for her, like, can spread and become a new thing and evolve based on its environment. And, like, in this one, we have a box full of her hair. And, like, we have the first girl who, like, finds a reason to steal the box of hair from her friend and then clearly behind the scenes has very carefully um, like implanted it into her brain to sort of overtake her natural hairdo. And then towards the end of it, we have the other girl who basically just like is at the point of uh, at the end of her tether and just starts shoving like uh, strings of hair into her face willy nilly because she just needs to have Tomie in her. Like, I, I don't know. I just love that that idea of it and the the reveal where you see her face with just like these long strands of hair coming out all over her face is very cool yeah um there's um there's there's something about that where it because it's going back to its target demographic again because it's about high school and it's about stuff like that my my favorite image from that story though is the hair growing into the brain on the cat scan like, mm, like winding around yeah yeah filling all the, <laughs> i think like, that's hilarious but it's yeah. it's like it's um there's there's something to be said for that story but bringing up like kind of like um makes you think about like uh societal pressures on women to look and be a certain way like wanting mm. to be what you see in magazines and things like that um that's kind of the vibe I got from that one with the hair and everything else as well. Yeah. Um, it's also like stories like this, where someone's convinced into doing the corrupting act, but yeah. they seem to enjoy the act of doing it. Like something in them has changed so deeply that they want to do the thing that is the violent act upon themselves. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I got from this. So, uh, Vicky, do you want to give us your favorites? All right, you're going to have to remind me which three bits I have to cover. But basically, my favorite story in the whole thing, I think, is Top Model. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. That mm. that one is, it's well, it's it's my favorite because it's the most 
affecting one. Like when I when I came back to to reread this, um, because the first time I read it was like I don't know, it was a few years ago, um, and I just kind of sat down and read the whole thing in one breath, and that's the one image that I remember, page seven o two, just her like tied to the bed with the gashes on her face. Mm. Like it's just it's the one image that I cannot shake. Um, and it's the one that I, I just thought it was, it was equal parts horrific and just really, really sad. And I think just because of, you know, some of the themes that we've covered tonight, like all the violence against this, this one like teenage girl, that's the one I think that it's the one story that I find the most horrific. Yeah. Mm. So it was like favorite visual gimmick, favorite concept and best story. (laughs) Best story. Okay, so um, favorite visual gimmick. That's got to be hair. I loved hair. It's just it, the imagery in that one is just it's so funny. Um, and it kind of you know when I was when I was a teenager, I was absolutely terrified of Japanese horror, and and I think it was because you know that that image of like um, the the creepy lady with the long hair and the hair just kind of getting everywhere and the hair seeping into the water supply and and all of these things, um, like that kind of flips all of that on its head in a way that story like it's just it's just so comic um and yet completely grotesque as well (laughs) so that's another one and then remind me what the third question is i'm so bad at doing multiple questions we've gone favorite visual gimmick favorite concept and best story so i think you said best story was top model favorite visual gimmick is hair so favorite concept uh favorite concept I don't know. Well, I, I said I had three favorite stories, so I guess I'll go with um, photo. Yeah. I just I like the simplicity of that one. I like the the urban legendy nature of it, and I like just the recurrence of of that kind of creepy spirit photography image in in popular culture. I find that a striking one. So and it's another it's it's a story that happens like relatively early on in the timeline, um, but it's one that stuck with me. So I quite like that. Um, Leon will go for you next. So favorite uh, visual gimmick, favorite concept, and best story. Um, I would say that my favorite story is... It's a toss-up between Painter and Top Model, but I'll probably go Painter, just because, like, I think that also has one of my favorite, like, like visual gimmicks and concepts all uh, wrapped into it, because... It opens with the um, the uh, sort of image, the true image that the the painter says. Like, I'll I'll draw you better. I, I promise. And he and he draws her, and it's like what you get when you take a photograph of her, where you've got the the second face, the two face, um, out, coming out the side of her head, and it's like connected to her face. And um, like one of my favorite movies of all time is John Carpenter's remake of The Thing, and this is just pure. Like this is straight out of that playbook of like two faces stuck together and but like deformed and stretched. Um, so, uh, like, I love that element, and I love the, the the concept that I really like that is also in this book is um. So like, there's a sculptor who is the um sort of like the antagonist for the uh, painter character, and the sculptor he was like. He was the one who was all about the art and the painter who's the one that we follow. He's the sellout who's like a rich and famous and everyone loves his, his stuff. Um, but then he finds out that this, the, the sculptor is now working with uh, Tommy after their, um, after she left him because his image wasn't good enough. And 
the concept that I love there is that um, there's so like he could he sculpted all these different versions of it and then he smashed them up and the idea of that because obviously the dudes go to like kill Tomie after uh, at the end of their like deep desire like the idea of that where it like it starts in the sculptures where he he created all these sculptures of her that are all not good enough and then broke all of them and then he but as the painter arrives he interrupts the sculptor who was about to like kill Tomie like just the idea of that how it's like layered in the meaning like deeper within the text and mm. that that image of all like mm. the the broken sculpted bits like heads and like legs and arms everywhere with cracks through them like it's it's quite an affecting image without being a particular gruesome image because for all intents and purposes this is not a person that's broken up but it does reflect what's happened prior and what happens after to this character um and that concept of it like it's it's affecting for me in a way because it kind of reminds me of uh the john uh the jonathan glazer movie under the skin mm. with uh, scarlett uh, mm-hmm. johansson so like, i don't want to spoil the end of that movie for anyone who's not seen it but uh, i will just say up front definitely see that movie um just going blind but there's a concept there where to talk around it part of that movie is about um scarlett johansson's character who is a woman who she's kind of she's kind of similar to Tommy in a way. Like she's mm. she's, a little, she's a little bit of a, a succubus type character, and um, a lot of that movie is about her interactions with men and how how that plays out in terms of desire, how that plays out in terms of what's expected of her, what she what she's um, meant to look like. So there's a scene early in the movie where she walks through a mall. And and she's like taking a back at like just seeing all the different things like the clothes and the jewelry and stuff like that. And that uh, that movie is is heavily like about like even though it is direct written and directed by a dude, it like it feels like the intention of that movie is very much like trying to be a feminist text. Like mm. I mean, it's up to the audience if they decide whether it if it, it, it's, it succeeds or not. But that a lot of that movie is about like uh, how men's interactions with women and what happens when like in that sort of scenario when the men do do not have the upper hand and um, a, a really interesting part of that that I'm trying I'm going to try and speak speak around but like Scarlett Johansson Scarlett Johansson so she's really hot and like, that <laughs> part part of that is her she's driving around in a van picking up dudes. And uh, I won't say what happens, but I've already said she's a succubus, so go, go, go for it. But, like, um, what is interesting there is that it, it's all about, like, these guys are, like, super happy, uh, as, as, as a lot of, uh, sh- uh, like, street dudes would be, like, to be walking around Glasgow or whatever and uh, Scarlett Johansson look like, picks you up. But then things turn when they realise that it's not, like, they're not... Things are not going to go too great for them. And one thing that's really interesting in that movie is that there is a part of it where basically a a male character attacks that character. And 
gets a glimpse of what Scarlett Hansen's character truly is, and in that in that point, um, decides to try and destroy her is the best way I can put it. And part of that, like, reads to me like a thread that goes throughout these books, where it's like uh, men like try to men want women to be everything. They want it to be like uh, the the virgin, the whore, blah 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 blah. Like the, like society guided by men like wants all of these things. But then as if like in a lot of cases, when as soon as a, a woman uh, has any agency and uh, or doesn't follow these pre-described like plans, um, society men punishes them, and that sequence in that movie is kind of like a metaphor for that. And I feel like this book deals with this a lot. And I mm. feel the concept of the, with the muses uh, deals with that a lot because like they're obviously drawn to her and feeding off her because they, they want to create the perfect image. But then it's like when they, when, when they're unable to, they have to kill uh, Tommy. And like, I always find that such a, a compelling point because it's, 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 it's um, it feels like a universal truth that no one speaks about. And I, so I'm always interested to see when it's done. And um, it's, it's always interesting to see like the, the various different ways in which that it, it's broached. Because it is quite a touchy subject that's even hard to talk about. So if I'm going to give you... Um, so Leon, have you got y- your favourite visual gimmick as well? Um. I, I was saying that that's like whenever we get the like uh, the thingish style, uh, like stretching of her face. Yeah, that we get quite a few times. Yeah, and uh, your favourite story. You so your best story and your best concept both go to um, the uh, painter one. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, um, where are we going with this? So my. Favorite visual gimmick so far? I, I mean, I've already, I've already pretty much said this, but it's it's babysitter, and it's the 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 baby Tomie, like the design of the baby Tomie. There's just something so horrible about it, like this baby growing out of its own heart type thing, all swaddled up, and like, I don't know. I just, I, I there's just something about that that just like really kind of like it's. It's funny, but it's not funny. It's also like deeply horrific, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know what it is about that that speaks to me. But that is my favorite, my favorite visual gimmick, and like, I just love that design. I love the art. I love the way it's it's drawn and illustrated and everything. And like, what it represents, like, like that is like it, it, when you, I suppose, when you have it, if you have a child or, and you love that child, that child is your heart, I guess. And it's kind of like almost like he's played with that concept a little bit. I don't know. Um, and then like uh, I really, really, really like um, for best story. I think it's one of the ones we've not talked an awful lot about, but it's. Um, uh, Moromi, Moromi, which is the one about the sake brewing, <laughs> which. Yeah, this, this is my favorite concept one as well. <laughs> yeah, it begins it begins after the violence and it's all over and done with. And he's he's killed Tomie. But what he's doing now is he's just like 
because he's he's like completely obliterated her body the the mush is multiplying <laughs> and like there's just some there's just something so absurd about that fridge full of mush busting open while he's in there yeah like when he's trying to explain to his mate what's going on it's like the mush won't stop kind of thing what do we do with the mush and there's like the comedy element of oh what do we do what do we do kind of thing this this dumb situation we've got you know it, it's horrible it's really really horrible but it's also like at the same time i can't help but almost find like the the, the absurd comedy element in there like i've been saying for this whole episode and like but so it, they it, they drive these like tubs of mush to this like sake brewery that his friends family own and they decide they're going to dispose of it by putting it in the sake, which is a bad idea altogether. Because, like, is that not going to, like... I don't, I don't know how... Oh, but but anyway, so Tomie's Essence is now in the alcohol. And they're brewing it. And Tomie's Essence is, like, kind of, like, being evaporated out and, and spread all around this brewery. And it kind of just, like, it takes... It intoxicates and, t- intoxicates and takes over everyone. And I just love, like the way that it plays out and the artwork and the des- in this with the, the designs of Tomie, Tomie spirits, like multiple Tomie spirits climbing out of this vat of sake on one like full page. And then like mm. the way that they dismiss it all as a hallucination because they were drinking the stuff. And like, even down to like, you know, like the bubbles forming faces on the surface there's a, there's a panel where it, they're like looking down into the vat, stirring it, and and the bubbles as it becomes ready, as it gets more volatile, as as the Tomies begin to reform and escape, it's like bubbles forming faces on there, <laughs> and it's just like it's you know, and he's trying to tell his dad that it's like human remains, and he's like, what are you talking about? This is the most delicious, delicious <laughs> alcohol we've ever made. <laughs> uh. And it's like this real soylent green energy about it. Like it's just yeah. it's got, it plays with that cannibalism trope. Well, I, I like that it starts sort of in media res, like as you said, after yeah. the after the fact where he's like yeah. he's holding a log and really really mundanely pummeling like these chunks of flesh into chum. And like I, I like the idea that it's become like his new norm. Like it, things have progressed so far that it's just <laughs> the status quo now. And yeah. like it ultimately goes into like I don't know, there's something there's something very like labor driven about it, whereas now it's become a part of his work day and like he's they've all now become a mundane workhorse of evil and they just entrance and they get on with the new order. Like they've got a new order of sake to develop and using the chum. And like and the other thing it reminded me of was that itchy and scratchy episode. Where, um, <laughs> like, you know yeah. where he where he pummels him in he's got an axe and he pummels scratchy into like dust and then in, inhales the evaporated dust. And like the idea that Tomie's infected them not just through the sake, but like through the air. And then yeah. it gives them these like really visceral dreams. And then like this is now their new norm. There's there's a whole town full of people where their their business has now suddenly been flipped into making Tomie sake. It's just, I, I just love the idea of that. There's like these pockets of Tomie evil just in, in yeah. various parts of the countryside. Yeah. It's, it's mad. And, and it, his mate turns up and his mates instantly on board with it. Yeah. Like <laughs> if I turned up to someone's house and they were like, do you want to help me hide a body? I'd be like, no, I'm calling the police, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Come look like... at all my bins of, of flesh. And will that convince you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just like, no, like, how his mate is just completely entirely on board with it straight away. It's insane. But like, it's just, yeah, that one. And then, um, I think, 
so that's like my favorite kind of like concept. Um, my favorite visual ga- uh, visual gimmick is the uh, the baby, and uh, I think my favorite story is is photograph and kiss, um, and I, I lump them together because they are one's a continuation of the other. Um, so I'm cheating because I'm picking two <laughs> when actually I should only be allowed to pick you always one. Cheat. You always cheat. <laughs> I always cheat. I can't help it. But yeah, it's um, it, it's basically because. I just love the whole, like, like what Vicky was saying about the whole urban legendness of it, and this, this, like, kind of like the, 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 the whole ghost story trope of the, the, like, spirit photography and everything else, and like, and how, how it starts off so mundane and escalates into something completely wrong and horrifying, and then, and then you get like this, this blood monster made out of carpet film. Like, <laughs> Which I thought was very interesting, like this creature that's just basically like a it's like it's like carpet underlay, but formed into a person by the blood that's inside it, which I thought was like a really interesting thing, and yeah, so i i I really loved that I really loved that story for that, definitely, so that's that's my that's my picks um has anybody got anything else they'd like to add? I'm assuming the silence means no. I guess that's no. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty pretty thorough conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh that closes us out. So that has been Ace Comicals episode 105, and we have discussed Junji Ito's Tomie. Um so you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. You can find us to listen to us in a multitude of places. Um, we're available pretty much anywhere podcasts are available uh, you can find us on twitter where we are most active under at ace comicals where you can get involved in the conversation i mean if you have listened to this episode and you have something to add to the conversation about tomie or you know you want to you want to discuss a particular point then get in touch we that's what we're here for we love to talk about comics um you can find me on twitter under at Bato. that's b-a-t-t-o-u uh ray where can we find you on Twitter, at Monkey, that's M-O-O-N-K-E-A. And Leon, where can we find you? Find me on Twitter, at Leon Everett. And uh, thanks again for uh, to Dr. Vicky Madden for joining us today. Thanks so much. It's it's so weird when people call me doctor. It just doesn't feel like me. It, it really it really doesn't. Like, I, I'm, still, I'm still not used to it. Um, but yes, you can also find me on Twitter if you like. I'm at uh, Vicky M. Madden, Vicky with an I. Yes. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining. It's always, always a pleasure to have you on the show and, uh, we need to get you on more often. So I I love talking with you guys. I just, I, I find that, you know, like I l- love discussing horror first of all, but you always have such like fully formed ideas and I always feel like I'm rambling. Like it's, I struggle to keep up sometimes, but, but thanks so much. I, I, I love, love, love talking with you guys. No, it's really good to have you on and to have like your sort of like clear insight and like, ever so obvious expertise on this kind of stuff so yeah, it's, really <laughs> it's always really great to have you on here and talk about this stuff so yeah i mean next time um i'm thinking uh we might get you back on again for another junji Ito episode because i i recently purchased remina oh me too i've not read yeah. it yet but, nor have yeah. i but i've got it waiting <laughs> so i'm thinking we'll get you back on to discuss that at some point um, yeah but um so yeah that has been ace comicals uh ace comicals over and out